Hey guys, uh, welcome back to the No Easy Buckets podcast. Uh, Jacob and Walker here. Uh, kind of wanted to just uh, give you a little midweek update on the NBA playoffs. Uh, you know, we've seen some good action uh, since last Saturday when we, when we talked with you, uh, with, when the opening round games. Uh, seen, uh, seen some good action, seen some uh, some upsets and some blowouts too. So uh, pretty pretty uh, well-rounded first uh, first few days. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, some things that stand out, I mean, our four MVP candidates, uh, Russ, James Harden, LeBron, and Kawhi, all playing at fairly high levels, so I feel like that's pretty exciting, especially considering we won't we won't know that award for another few weeks, but I'm certainly glad that those guys are continuing to play well into the playoffs. Yeah, it really, uh, it's one of those things where it validates everyone's, you know, kind of opinions on the top players in the league. You know, you don't have anybody really laying an egg in the first couple games where it's like ah you know kind of like uh you know like like uh like an Isaiah Thomas who while you know he has some extenuating circumstances there you know he's averaging 30 points was averaging 30 points a game this season but you know he's kind of struggled in the first two games you've seen the really the the top four players really separate themselves from the the rest of the league and and uh and really uh kind of excel and and take on take their team on their back you know even though We've uh, seen a couple losses out of uh, Russell, Russell Westbrook. He's still been, of course, his amazing self. So it's good to see. It's good for the NBA to have that kind of that kind of uh, excellence at the top. Yeah, tough for Russ and them to go on the road, obviously. And I know we're going to talk a little bit more about this series shortly. Uh, yeah. But, I mean, by the way, game two started out tonight. You have to expect when they go back to OKC, uh, for them to get at least one win, uh, if not mm-hmm. force, force it to game six, game seven. So, uh, we'll see, but I, do you want to start out talking a little bit about some of the uh, other series before we jump into some of our maybe more deeper topics later in the pod? Yeah, for sure. I mean, you know, I, something that uh, stood out to me, or actually, you know, right now we're we're watching, uh, we're in progress of the Trailblazers Golden State Warriors game two, which uh, you know the the Warriors are without Kevin Durant, who. Uh, Strain calf. Strain calf, you know, similar to Tony Allen injury. I guess it's a little le- not soon. as bad as Tony Allen's. Yeah, too soon. Um, but, uh, but yeah, you know, he's sitting out, uh, thought it may be a game that uh, Portland could possibly steal or at least, like, you know, compete well in. And it is a pretty back-and-forth game, but, you know, I think Golden State will come out on top there. Not much uh, to talk, you know, not much in that series that's, you know, too eye-catching except, you know, some individual performances by those the by CJ McCollum and Damian yeah. Lillard along with the the Warriors squad. Yeah, I mean, who's not a Damian Lillard fan, a CJ McCollum fan? What did they score? Seventy eight points combined <laughs> um, in game one. So they're definitely um, you know generating some excitement. I mean, the real story here, the Warriors. I mean, they're they're playing honestly pretty sloppy tonight, but they're continuing to shoot the ball well. They're up twelve right now with eleven minutes left in the third quarter. So still a lot of game time left, but they've been up. Probably as much as 15 or 16 this game. Portland got it back down to 3 or 4. Now it's back up to 12 and probably expect a little bit more. But a couple things that stand out for me is, one, Terry Stotts looked very, very confused <laughs> in the first quarter. Uh, they, uh, Marv and, um, and, and the guys from TNT were commenting on how he was just trying to figure out what lineup would work best. And I really don't know if there's a good lineup for this. Um, and then as well, uh, and then also... Just chemistry issues. I mean, you hate to 
KD is out because that was the big question is, you know, they finally got him playing well when he was in the lineup. Then he goes out. Then Steph starts coming back playing really well. And KD's back in. Now he's back out. I mean, we're not going to know if this affects them until probably three or four weeks from now. Um, no. That's That would be the only couple of things to to look for is a lot of highlights from the Portland guards and, and how the Warriors will continue to mesh whether KD's in or out of the lineup. Yeah, and real quick, do you think uh, do you think there's a possibility? And th- assuming that they get out of this game tonight uh, with a win, do you think there's a possibility that they could go into the conference finals eight and zero? Hundred percent. Cleveland last year, last year's Cleveland. And uh, yeah, I mean, I would honestly be a little disappointed if they didn't. You know, it was, I was listening to the new Simmons pod today, and Tate Frazier actually thinks. Um, I don't know if you listened to it, but. His bold prediction was Clippers take the Warriors to seven games, which yeah. I don't see happening whatsoever. But I mean, that's so called a bold you know, prediction. They, <laughs> yeah, they have they have some they have some some uh, some pass there. Some some maybe 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 the the Jazz win. Gobert comes back. I'm not sure if that does anything because the Warriors are so run and gun. But uh, yeah, I would say probably better chance than not for them to go 8-0, but I'm the kind of guy that's always going to take the field instead of taking that yeah. one you know, scenario. So I would say probably not. They'll probably be 8-1, 8-2 at worst, which yeah. is still still nothing to bark at. So. No, not at all. I think especially if they play the Clippers, the Clippers will get a game in L.A. And I actually think the Jazz, if Gobert is healthy, could, could steal one game um, just because I think they're a pretty deep team and they have some – some guys to go to in the fourth, but, but yeah, I mean, there's pretty good chance. There's there's a possibility they could pull a, a, a Cavaliers from last year and go eight and zero, but, but you know that's kind of you know they're gonna be there. Like we're gonna be watching them in a month or two, month or two playing for the playing for the championship. So, not much not much to worry about there. Um, if you want to, we can switch over to the the top of the East. We'll just go top to top, and a completely different story with uh, Chicago and Boston who. Boston really uh, was a try-hard team all year. They've uh, they've got a pretty deep, talented roster, a lot of assets, like everybody knows, with their Brooklyn picks, and you know they're they're really going to be in a good position in the offseason to add some some talent there via the draft. But we're seeing the the whole uh, you know not having the best player in a given series come into effect, where you're you may be the better team overall and have the better record but you don't have the best player on either of the teams so you, you sometimes when it comes down to the end you have trouble getting buckets and Chicago is not having trouble getting those buckets yeah we've seen this over the years with with teams that don't have that go-to guy in the yeah. fourth quarter in the playoffs because it definitely slows down at the end mm-hmm. of the game um, you know it gets a lot more clogged in the lane which I know the game's changing a little bit with the Warriors and how other teams are shooting a lot more threes. The Rockets, um, you certainly have to have that guy and get and get to get the buckets. Um, and you know, credit to you. You mentioned this that the Chicago would would certainly have a chance. I don't I don't know if we thought that they would be up 2-0 uh, <laughs> heading back to Chicago, uh, but because of Jimmy Butler and because of basically their size. And their defense and some of their key veterans, Rondo and Wade, playing better. Here we are at 2-0, and things aren't looking good for the Celtics. I'm not ready to give up on them because they're certainly the better team in the long run. I mean, obviously, you know, look at the record, but that's one thing about the playoffs. It's all about getting hot at the right time. Uh, you know, I, we have, we've talked about this. I have this 
debate slash talk with a lot of my friends with you compare it to something like the English Premier League season where they play 38 games, 19 home and 19 away. Every game counts for something, whether you're in August or you're in May. Um, it doesn't, you know, you've got to be hot throughout the whole season. Well, in the United States, that's not the case. You can sneak into the playoffs. We've seen it in the NFL. You know, we've seen wildcard teams win the Super Bowl. Um, so that's kind of part of the structure here. Um, but big things for me, I mean, Robin Lopez is just destroying the Celtics. And Simmons talked a little bit today about how the Bulls are just a bad matchup in them because they're bigger, uh, they're more physical. Uh, and because of that, they've really been dominating them on the boards um, and on, uh, when the Bulls are on defense. And because Isaiah, you know, can't do it all in the playoffs, um, they're in trouble. I really think they're in trouble. Yeah. They're, uh, I mean, Isaiah had a great season. Uh, you know, I, I really do think there's been some, you know, we feel for that locker room the past few days. Certainly. What's happened with, yeah, with Isaiah's sister. Um, but you, I, I still think that, you know, take that out of the, take that out of the equation. I still think that you have a similar situation going into game three. I still think it's either one, one Boston. I mean, one, one with Chicago and Boston or, Still 2-0 because... Yeah, the issue hasn't yeah. been Isaiah Thomas. No, no <laughs> anyway. it really hasn't. It really hasn't. I mean, he's, you know, he he actually played a lot of minutes last night. Uh, Stevens kept him out there for a long time, I think the whole fourth quarter. But it's uh, it's really a creation, and it's they've had an issue with rebounding all season. You know, they, they signed Al Horford, who's a really good player, a great player, um, brings a lot to the table, but he's not necessarily known for his rebounding. You know, he's and he's not a honestly, he's not necessarily a volume scorer either. Now he has his games. He had his games in Atlanta where he, you know, put up you know twenty and ten or twenty, you know, whatever. But he's not. Uh, he's not a volume rebounder or scorer. He's usually like a piece to a team, a very good quality All Star level piece to a team. And you know, he's really their only low post presence at all mm -hmm. and if that's the guy that you have down there but what about amir struggle. johnson and jurevko and olenic <laughs> right these guys <laughs> these guys that they kept you know saying were so important i mean those are the kind of guys that during the regular season they hit a three in a game in you know in november at the in the fourth quarter and it's like oh my gosh this guy's going to be playing minutes for us in the playoffs it's great he's so valuable and it's like yeah but he also can't guard anybody does nothing else on the court. He can't handle the ball. It's like you you really run into a problem in the playoffs when the game slows down. It really does, and it's and it's about your stars. You know, you, you don't really have you know the last team we saw win a win a title without you know really a uh, an MVP candidate was uh, with the Dirk and the Mavs, and you and right. Dirk's a Hall of Famer. He has an right. MVP before, so it's like you're you're still looking. I mean. The, does does Boston have a Hall of Famer on their roster or a potential yeah. Hall of Famer on their roster? I don't, I don't think so. No. So I mean, you you really that's something they're going to have to address. And you know, th there's going to be Boston fans support their guys. They support their their management and their coaches. But if you if you, if you see a sweep, that's I don't I can't even imagine. But if you see a early round exit and maybe they only win one game versus Chicago here, you're going to see a lot of doubt. Um, in those uh, in those fans and, and they're gonna you know they're gonna be putting a lot of stock on this draft and you're gonna have to make a move in the offseason in free agency which you know it may be you may have waited a season too late at the same time though I think that Boston fans need to have a little bit of perspective um, they they did a complete rebuild right I mean they traded their stars which was certainly the right move 
But usually when you do that, you and it's going to take several years to get to get back to where you want to be. Granted, you know, in three to four years, you can be in the playoffs. Well, in three to four years, they made it all the way to the one seed. Um, but I think yeah. it's important for Boston fans to remember this is just another peg on the ladder that they're climbing because they're truly set up to be good for the next decade if, like you said, they A, draft well, and B, they do have to flip some of these assets, whether that's future draft picks, whether that's drafted players, or current really good role players on their roster for more star caliber players. Because here's the thing, you can get to the one seed, especially in the East, if you have, we'll call Isaiah Thomas a great player, and then a bunch of really, really good players. But there are other teams that have, you know, maybe two or three great players and then not as many really good players. So they might not have the best regular season record. Uh, Think of someone like Washington. You know, they've got more great players on their team, less good role players. But who would you pick in a series right now? You know, so. But I think the important thing here is to remember it is a little disappointing. Okay, it's a lot disappointing. You're the one seed. You shouldn't have any issue with the Fred Hoiberg coach Bulls. They've been terrible yeah. this year. But, you know, don't lose sight of, of what Boston is working towards, especially considering they, they did a complete rebuild, you know, four or five years ago. Um, right. You know, they should be lucky. You know, they should feel lucky to be where they are, honestly. But that's enough. That's enough about them. So Right, right. And just one more quick thing about them, too. I think what people seem to forget too is that why not set yourself up for the next five to 10 years because you're facing LeBron every year in the East. Right. So are you really going to win? <laughs> right. If you've got the, you know, a top, if you've got the top pick this year, you've got Brooklyn's pick next year. So you've got two top five picks, you know, that are going to be 18 or 19 years old. And in the next three years, they're still on their rookie deals with the players. Some of the players you have now, like you're, you're looking at a title team, and LeBron, you know, he's going to be in his mid-30s, so you're, there's a good chance that he's, you know, on the, the later end or in early retirement. You never know what happens there, so I think they're in a good spot overall. But, and I think they would have traded for Paul George or Jimmy Butler yeah. if they were available, but it, it as, as we go on later and later, more people seem to think, you know what, they just, they just weren't touchable. Right. Um, you know, that people just wouldn't call them back about them. As Patrick McGall, McCall gets a block from behind, I promise I don't know how they get contributions from these people. Um, <laughs> but yeah, you're right. So, yep. And uh, so we're seeing uh, some good action there. Uh, some exciting couple games in Chicago coming up. Uh, you know, uh, kind of an underlying story there is that the the Wizards have played two very good games versus the Hawks. Um, not necessarily, not blowouts. They've looked very good. The Hawks have actually been pretty competitive, but the Wizards have kind of flexed their their muscle. Four quarters. Yep. Yeah, yeah, they've scored their scoring over 100 points in both games. And what you what you're seeing here is that let's say Chicago does move on past Boston. I mean, I I don't think Chicago is a team that is going to make one of those magical runs. Not even so like the Warriors did back in the day when they upset the Mavs in the first round, like. I think you're going to see an early exit in round two for Chicago, especially if they play uh, the Washington Wizards, because um, you're going to see more, more a little more uh, leadership there on ball, on uh, Washington's team, and with John Wall and Beal and those guys there. And so I actually think it's very, a very good matchup. They they may have an easy walk of it to the finals to face Cleveland. 
Yeah, and Rolo has been such a problem for the Celtics, but I don't I don't think that Marcin Gortat's going to roll over for him. No. Uh, certainly, that'll be a good physical battle actually in the second round if we yeah. if we get there. But yeah, I mean, not a, not a lot to say about this series. I mean, no. Wall and Beal, it's it's really nice and really refreshing to see both of those guys healthy playing well together with the blossoming of Otto Porter, mm-hmm. uh, with some of the other pieces they have. Kelly Oubre off the bench. You know, has made strides this year, so they're they're a fun team. Atlanta, um, I like some of the pieces in Atlanta, uh, but it's since since what was it two years ago that that they got the one seed and um, that you know Atlanta was almost similar one seed to Boston. Uh, you know, they had a bunch of really really good players, but they didn't have that one guy that who's going to go get you that bucket. Um, but the, the 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 team makeup now with Atlanta, I don't I can't say that I'm ready to trust Dennis Schroeder in a you know in a in a four quarter battle with John Wall. And so much of today's game is in the hands of the point guard. I just well Washington big advantage for me there. I agree. I agree. That's uh not a team that scares me. I, I do think that Atlanta is similar to a team like Memphis, to where you you know you really have to look as a fan. You have to look at the perspective of what they've been able to do. Over the past, you know, six or seven years, you know, the Atlanta. Yeah, the Hawks right, actually has the second right. longest tenured playoff so streak first. right in front of us. Yeah, I think it's nine. I think it's seven for us and nine for them, mm-hmm. which is crazy to think about a, a franchise that you've really not. It's not historical. They've had some good players, but you know, it started back with the the early days with the Josh Smith, uh, right. it was Jeff Teague, Josh Smith, and uh, Al Horford. But those were some good. Those were some good solid teams and. They're they're a fun watch. Uh, it's, it's it's interesting series. I think they'll win a game or two in uh, in Atlanta, but I think Washington will will win that series. They're just too too explosive there. I think they're just you know for the for the uh, for the Hawks defenders. Um, but that'll be interesting to see if Washington can kind of you know prolong this. I'd love to see John Wall in, in Eastern Conference Finals. I really would like to see him versus Kyrie. And you know, oh man, LeBron, Yeah, who's gonna like LeBron's gonna guard John Wall, and is he gonna guard John Wall in the in the fourth quarter? And that's gonna be very because I mean, <laughs> John Wall may be the fastest player. Him and Russ, yeah, he right would there. he would barbecue uh, Kyrie. <laughs> yeah, oh yeah, you can't. They, they'll probably have to use some kind of secondary defender or bring somebody off the bench just to like stick him for a few minutes to tire him out. But I think that could be a really fun series, actually. Uh, I think they would, uh, you know, win. I think it's six or seven games locked for sure in that Eastern Conference. That seems the most likely outcome right now. But I mean, still, as we know, super early. So still early. Still have the, uh, still have the winner of the the Bucks, uh, the Bucks Raptors. You know, watch not out. The, not the, yeah, not the most exciting series. Barber. We have a we have we have it one one with uh, Toronto holding holding face uh, in the in this game two and not getting swept like Boston at home. Um, think the the Bucks could if the Bucks happen to make some uh, to advance. I think that's an interesting matchup with Cleveland. I think you know Milwaukee or uh, Toronto, whoever wins that series playing Cleveland in the second round will be fun. I think it will be uh, an exciting series. Uh, but I mean, it's really a toss up here. I, going back to Milwaukee, it could go either way. Yeah, I've kind of went back and forth on how I think this series is gonna. Is going to end up. I try not to be too influenced by that game one victory by the Bucks for well for you know any road team. Of course, I said that was Chicago, and and here they are two zip. Uh, but like you said, Toronto avoided that. Um, however, it was very close at the end. I mean, Milwaukee had a chance to win that game, 
Uh, you know, what it ended up being four or six points, but I think it was just a couple before Kyle Lowry hit that shot with about 20 seconds left. Um, so, you know, ultimately I think that Toronto will get it done in this series. I think that Toronto just had a bad opening game, but I definitely think we're destined for at least six here because uh, I think Milwaukee will certainly get a game um, at home, if not both of them. Uh, but even if Milwaukee goes up 3-1, I mean, I'm not so sure I'm ready to count out Toronto just because of the youth of Milwaukee. So, I mean, how do you feel about Jay Kidd being able to get it done and close out a series? Um, I think it's going to be a test. Uh, you know, he's his second team to be with. He did actually, I, think, I believe he was the coach on those uh, those Nets teams when they had uh, KG in them. So he's, you know, he has kind of been there when they traded that 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 monumental trade with Boston. Yeah. But you know, he's he's big dealt with egos his whole career. I think he's a, you know, he's won titles. He's been in titles. I think he's an interesting coach to be there because he's young and can relate, but at the same time, he's uh, kind of an authoritative figure. Mm-hmm. And you know, he's not like uh, it's not, good not that, that those guys are young. You know, right? It's it not like he's coached a bunch of thirty-two-year-olds. Right. Uh, heard the comparison today on uh, I think it was uh, Tate made it on Tate Frazier made it. He was like, think about those. I think it was the two thousand thirteen or two thousand fourteen Warriors that took uh, San Antonio. I think it was the one-eight series, maybe in two-seven, but took them to six or six games, I think. And it was like, that was really the beginning of the Splash Brothers. That was Mark Jackson mm-hmm. with the coach. And and you had uh, a lot of excitement there. That was like, oh, this team, it's kind of fun. You know, this is this is different. They're mm-hmm. not doing anything but shooting. You know, and I think that's the kind of, what you're seeing here with the Bucks is that they're probably a year too soon. You know, they, they had a late charge to get into that six seed. They're probably a year too soon. But for the, for the next, you know, years to come, that's a really good, that's a, you know, in my opinion, they're going to be a perennial playoff team. Yeah, fantastic uh, young core they have in Milwaukee. Right. So, a lot of excitement to look forward to there. Um, I think one game that we and you really want to kind of focus on uh, uh, is the uh, moving forward is kind of the this uh, Houston Oklahoma City series, which um, you know they they played uh, game one the other night. It was uh, you know blowout. Rockets, yeah, was, Rockets blew them out. Uh, game two started out a lot different. Um, we were both very watching different. that game, very different. Um, but this outcome was the same. It was a, it was a win for the Rockets. They're, they're leaving Houston 2-0. Um, you know, big games out of – the Rockets have gotten big games from, from role players, not just Harden, which is something that Oklahoma City it can't, can't say. Well, we talked we talked back and forth about this. I, I can't remember. I think it was the night right after the game one. And – the Thunder were starving for offense. Um, you know, at some point you have to sacrifice and play some of your more offensive players, despite you know being worried being worried about your defense. And what did we see? We saw Sabonis early. Uh, we saw McDermott who shot the ball well, and people people were involved. You know, Russ was very efficient. He was very smart with his shots. He was not forcing anything. Uh, he was mm-hmm. distributing, of course. I think at halftime, um, you know, he had. I think he already had his double-double and was two or three assists, as yet again, Patrick McCall getting buckets. Um, he, you know, he, they were just very efficient, playing well as a team. Uh, you know, I think they were up at halftime, but up very big in the first quarter when everyone was contributing. And then uh, fast forward, and it was just kind of a steady flow as Steph hits one from like 50 feet. Uh, it was just a steady flow of, of the Rockets coming back and, and more James Harden and more... Um, you know, Pat Bev, like you mentioned, I mean, they're getting uh, 
it was game one, you know, think of someone like Nene and Patrick Beverly really going off. Well, um, they just keep getting contributions from other people, whereas later in the game for the Thunder, I mean, what, what was the stat you had for us? That What, what did Russ shoot in the fourth quarter? Uh, unofficially, but I, I believe it was uh, 3 of 17 in the fourth quarter, and Ooh. I'm pretty sure I saw at least 15 of those shots, and it was not pretty. It was a lot of uh, ill-advised drives to the hoop, uh, off-balance leaners, and Stuff Makes that me just, think of about three or four years ago, Russ in yeah. the playoffs kind of stuff. Right. It's just like, even though, of course, he doesn't have anybody necessarily is like Durant or Harden to pass to, it's like you, you, you're not going to win a game by yourself. You're not. And if you do, you're not going to win a series by yourself. And I think it, it's important to at least try to, to run the semblance of an offense I mean, you have a guy like McDermott, who I believe I heard the guys on TNT speak a little bit about he how Grizzlies up for like thirty yeah, this year when he exactly. was exactly he, he's he was three for four from three tonight, four or five Give from the field. Some looks right. He played fourteen minutes. I think those were mostly in the first half. I did. I heard some comments that he was a little bit liable on D, which is understandable. But this okay. is, I mean, this is a, you're not gonna. You're I not, mean, who, you're not, who he's really not out there to Lou Williams? <laughs> right. He's not out there to play D. He's out there to to score. He's out there to shoot. He's out there to spread the court out so that Russ can drive, so that he can make shots around the rim and get off and, and that so Cantor and Adams can get offensive rebounds. You I just don't really know what, you know, Donovan's doing. He's going twelve deep. He's playing you know, he's playing Kyle Singler and Jeremy Grant almost you know, Jeremy Grant played twice as many minutes as McDermott. Singler was right there. And I know now McDermott Grant is is hyper athletic and he's super athletic, but he's not he's he's not the weapon that McDermott is. And I actually think you could play those two players together. Like, I, what do you like? Both of those players bring you more, in my opinion, than Andre Roberson out there for thirty seven minutes. Like, <laughs> why is Andre Roberson playing thirty seven minutes? Like, I think you know you you save a little bit with defense with Grant and you have McDermott out there for the off. I just. I don't know. I mean, I, I don't really, he, I don't really he get what they're doing. in a complete different direction this game because, I mean, yeah. wh- how much money is Enos Cantor making? I mean, he played eight minutes. <laughs> right. I he, heard uh, two or three separate occasions uh, Harlan and Reggie Miller say something like, well, with this lineup, the, the Thunder are really starving for scoring. And, you know, it's pretty much like Christian, Grant, Singler, Abrinas, like those people on the floor together, Oladipo, and I'm like, wait, what, what, what's Canner doing? You know, and then they made some comment about, well, they don't want him on the floor when Harden's on the floor, and I'm like, yeah, you know, it, like we said, what's Donovan doing here? I, I, I can't really figure it out. He's, he's went one direction in the first game and was completely off. One direction in the second game, apparently off again. I mean, maybe look, look for a mix. I mean, what, what, what do you think you would try to? Do here. It seems like you have to get some guys out there to space the floor. Uh, yes, I mean you. <laughs> this is the thing. Coaches are coaches are paid to coach, and you do have. You're always going to have players that are liabilities on one end of the court, but you know maybe more proficient on another end of the court. And like with McDermott and Cantor, you've got two very you know. I would. It's hard to say above average for McDermott just because he's you know hasn't really developed his full game yet. But they're both above average 
offensive players, and Cantor is a great inside scorer and an offensive rebounder. You're playing against one of the highest scoring teams in the league that does nothing but run up and down the court and shoot 33s a game. I mean, we're looking at it right here. They were, they, they were shot uh, 29. Yeah, 29. So one off, but that was actually a, a kind of a lower game for them. Ryan Anderson was 0 of 7, so they had some some struggles there. As they probably weren't in rhythm as much. But you're playing a team like that. Yes, can't uh, Harden can put Canner in a pick and roll and really you know expose him there, but. That's where you gotta tinker with your defensive strategy, kind of like how you have a, you know, a couple of years ago when Golden State put Bogut on uh, Tony, Tony Allen, Allen and completely yeah. changed the series. You've got to. I mean, there, there's not that glaring hole that they can use in the series, but you've got to, you know, tinker with it. You've got to play with it. You've got yeah. to get your offensive talent out there because. When Russ is out there with Roberson and Adams and Taj Gibson and Oladipo, which I just named their starting lineup, when he's <laughs> out there with those guys, he's going to he's, take the He's shots. a great executive, though, right? <laughs> right. Sam Presti, baby. But he's, <laughs> Russ is going to take the shots when those guys are out there. I'm sorry. He's, he's going to do it because, you know, he's, you've got to – I mean, I'm looking here. This is the crazy thing. The, the Rockets won by four. Every single player in the – in uh, the, the Thunder starting lineup was a positive besides Roberson, minus two. Taj Gibson was plus 17. Steven Adams was plus 18. These guys played major minutes for this team, and they lost by, f- by four. But they were both plus 17 and plus 18. Like, that's crazy to me. Like, well, you, you were saying you've got coaches are here to coach. Yeah. You're going to have players that are liable on one end or the other. Everyone is at Kawhi Leonard or Clay Thompson, uh, or, or pa- uh, Patrick Beverly, for that matter, who, you know, has flashed some offensive game, doing it both ends of the floor. Think about Ryan Anderson. Think about Eric Gordon. Think about Lou Williams. What are these guys? They're great offensive players. They're marginal at best at defense. However... 29 minutes, Ryan Anderson. 21 minutes, Lou Williams. 30 minutes, Eric Gordon. It's quite clear. Now, again, I'm not saying that some of these guys for the Thunder are you know, of the offensive pedigree that those guys are. But the one comparison that I'm thinking about, Doug McDermott. I mean, he's a little shorter, but that it kind of reminds me of Ryan Anderson. Yeah. What? What? Ryan Anderson starts for the Rockets. And I'm not saying Doug McDermott should start for... The Thunder, like, okay, fine. Don't change your starting lineup, but don't don't play. If I just, I don't know. I don't know why Victor Oladipo is playing forty-one minutes. Right. You know. I mean, can, can we not give six minutes to to Doug McDermott, who was four or five from the floor? I mean, Doug McDermott also showed an ability when they closed out on him to drive to the rim and got a bucket at at the at the at the cup. Um, Again, I'm sure. I say I'm sure. Surely he will do some of this at home, but people like McDermott are—that's exactly who needs to play with Russell Westbrook. Someone that can space the floor, can can even put it on the ground. Um, Especially if you've got someone out there like Victor Oladipo who's going to give you some good defense, or Roberson. You've got to have someone else out there to balance that. Right, and if you've got a player like Russ which is very – you have very similar types of uh, teams here. 
with you know Russ and Harden, who both are players, and I know he's Russ is not the shooter Harden is, but they have similar games where they get to the free throw line, they like to drive and kick, and they're very they're very exciting players. You've got uh, Ryan Anderson who's playing alongside uh, James Harden. He played. He's 29 just sitting minutes. in the corner. Right. He he played twenty nine minutes. He had a horrible game. He was one of eight, zero of seven from three, and minus eighteen. He he had an off game. He had an off game. He played twenty nine minutes though, because they're still having you're you're within arms lengths of Ryan Anderson every time he's on the court. You're not leaving him. So he even though he was having a horrid offensive game and couldn't find the rent for the the bucket for anything, opened up the he floor. Was out there. He opened it up. He's out there on the court when Harden's in there. He's they're putting him in pick and rolls because you can't switch. You know it. it that's the kind of thing you have to do. That's the kind of thing that playing with you know Doug McDermott or Cantor allows you to do is you you have another person to, to, to pay attention to. You have someone that you can't completely just lose on the defensive end. And I mean, we can preach we can preach it all game. Like you said, you didn't want to say Doug McDermott would start should start. I'll say it. You got to change something. And I mean, you've got you need some more offensive firepower power with, with Russell Westbrook. And sometimes it takes a crazy change. Sometimes it takes something that is a little bit out of the ordinary. You know, I that's like kind of what makes the difference usually. Even since the KD days, we've been talking about how they need to run some different offensive sets. I mean, mm-hmm. is that still not – I mean, the only offensive set that I can think about in my mind – okay, two. One is get out of the way, Russ is iso and, and two – the pick and roll with Steven Adams works very well, especially early in the game. But those are really the only two actions that come to my mind, uh, which only one of those is technically, I guess, considered an offensive action. But, you know, why not run some pick and pop with some of these other guys um, that, that clearly just aren't getting looks? I mean, just be innovative, Billy Donovan, please. You have way too good of a basketball player on your team to make him think he has to shoot three of a million in the fourth quarter and shoot yourself out of the game. I, I agree, and it's just it's you want to see a competitive series, and, and I mean it, it was a competitive game. It's an exciting game, and even if the Rockets sweep the Thunder, it's going to be four exciting games. It's going to be Russ is going to be exciting regardless of what he does. But when you have a player that's three of seventeen in the fourth quarter, first off, seventeen shots in the fourth quarter is pretty absurd. For anyone. In, in its own self, especially in a close game, and you you're shooting three of seventeen. Especially that, if you're shooting it that poorly, right? That's an awful percentage, and it's just not a recipe. Not a recipe for success. You're playing way too many players, and you're not playing the right ones the right amount of time. So, you know, I, I do love the the production that Houston got with Eric Gordon and, and Lou Williams both dropping in. You know, twenty two and twenty one respectively, getting quality minutes there. Um, you know, really like those players. They're shooting high percentages, shooting over 50% from three and from, from the field. It's, you know, that's why you look at Houston and say that's a team that can, that can challenge. Challenge, yep. Yeah. yeah, that's why you look at that because you have those guys who your second and third leading scorers were off your bench. And they yep. didn't even play Montrez Harrell. They didn't even – that's another big guy that they have because they didn't have to, you know. The Thunder weren't utilizing their size or utilizing, you know, they didn't need another defender out there, another athletic defender. They were just playing their offensive players. Mm-hmm. So you've really got um, some quality bench minutes. You know, if you just look at the bench line for Houston, they only played eight guys. Nene was three for three from the field. He, you, you've got, you're getting very efficient production from the bench there in Houston. So, you know, they, 
they, you may look at this game and say, well, they were down most of the time. They're kind of, you know, maybe maybe Russ is getting to them, but I really think these two games for Houston, they've weathered the storm, and I think they're they're really putting themselves in good position. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah. We want to end on the Grizzlies. However, I want to ask you really quickly about this Clippers Jazz series, whether or not yeah. Gobert comes back. You know, we saw Utah steal game one with Gobert not playing after he got hurt on the first. Clippers come back. Chris Paul kind of goes vintage Chris Paul for a second. Um, helps lead the Clippers. Series going back to Utah. We're unsure of Gobert's status, especially going forward. Who do you like here? Well, I'll give you two things. I, uh, I'm i rooting for <laughs> the Jazz to just uh, yes. win in five. Uh, because I want to see the Clippers blow it up. I want to see the yes. Clippers. I don't Jeez. want them to get some oh, false yes. hope. Yeah, because like I think you know, if, if the scenario we spoke to earlier, um, if they were to make it to the second round and play, maybe challenge the Warriors a couple games, that gives them a little false hope. Don't think this team moving forward with the same core is going to do anything more than they're doing now. Um, so I, I'm kind of rooting for them to have to blow it up. Uh, so I'm, in that case, wanting Utah to win. Um if Gobert comes back, I fully believe Utah will move on. Without Gobert, I wonder if game two was a little bit of a eye-opening because it was a close game, but the Clippers led the whole way. And when you have a team that leads the whole way, like that's maybe they're figuring it out. Maybe they're figuring out how to play Utah without Gobert a little bit more every game. A lot of so, highlights from that games were, yeah. from that game were. Griffin and and DeAndre hammering it down in the cup, at, you know, dunking alley oop, whatever. If Gobert's in there, half that stuff ain't happening. It's a no. different. It's a different look. No, they're really that's that's he's that he's that uh, player that's going to keep that rim running and keep that those people honest. He can guard on the perimeter too, so you don't have to. You know, he can guard Blake when on those switches. He can switch on to Blake and. He can, uh, you know, keep DeAndre from high flying and stuff. Yeah. It really allows their other players to to stay to their strengths more and makes Utah it's the best version of itself. But still think room for a couple of exciting games. Uh, really like what I've seen out of Utah. Uh, I think they've uh, I think playing any other team. I think they would have not. You know, I think they. I don't think they would have had a chance to move on. But this is a pretty good matchup for them. So I agree. Pretty exciting. I don't have a lot to say about the series. I don't no. really feel like we need to spend a lot of time here. Uh, I do like Utah. We'll see what happens with Gordon Hayward summer. You know, if he hangs around, they've got a chance to be really special. Kind of, we talked about Milwaukee being a year in and year out Eastern playoff con- contender. I mean, we could see the Jazz consistently challenging for a three, four, five spot. Um, but yeah, a lot of this hinges on Gobert because if Gl- if Griffin and, and Jordan get going towards the rim it's really hard to stop them because you've really got to uh, divert some resources into the paint and try to lock that down and and, and you don't want people like jj reddick or chris ball to get going from outside so uh, a lot of that's going to hinge hinge on go bear and then before we get to the grizzlies i know we're running a little over on time but you know lebron he, he's kind of in lebron i mean cleveland up 2-0 um had had the close game i mean game one could have definitely went indiana's way uh, series going back to the field house to Indiana. I mean, are, do you think do you think Cleveland will repeat? 
8-0 going into the Eastern Conference Finals, or do you think Indiana and Paul George will have something to say before that is all said and done? I uh, actually think there's a pretty good chance that they sweep the Pacers. I think uh, at most they lose one game, but I think they're actually going to sweep there. Um, I don't think they're going to go 8-0. I think they do, regardless if they play uh, the Bucks or Toronto. I think they I think they uh, lose a couple games there uh, to either of those teams. It was 6 or 7. Um, but I don't think Indiana. I just They've, they've had a little, little turmoil there. He, Cleveland has controlled both games very mm-hmm. easily throughout and just played bad in the fourth quarter defensively. So I think you're going to see a little bit of, uh, you know, after a couple of days rest, I think you're going to see – um, a, a lot more defensive urgency. Hopefully, uh, you see some more defensive urgency and uh, you know, uh, no no trouble there for for Cleveland. Yeah, we're big on team chemistry and body language, and the more Indiana suffers and struggles and loses, the yeah. more that Paul George is is going to be ready to to hit the road, Jack. So <laughs> he's um, gone, in my opinion. <laughs> I feel that, as much as I hate this, I feel the same way. Sweep seems very likely. I mean, home court advantage is very important, so maybe we see five games. Um, I'm yeah. sure Cleveland would like to to win the first round. Well, no, take the back. They like to sweep, but uh, yeah. it's not a bad alternative if you can win in five and for the home fans to give them mm-hmm. a little extra um, and make yourself a little extra ticket revenue. Um, but I mean, just too much for Indiana. I mean, if if we couldn't get the heroic effort from Paul George and to secure that game one, then I don't I don't see any I don't see anything happening here. Nope. I don't think there's uh, much to worry about. It'll be ex- interesting games because the Cavs have uh, have been uh, very appealing uh, as far as watching their games because of the the fact you never know when the team's going to come back. But I, I don't think you see much uh, much to, much much there. Uh, there'll probably be a couple NBA TV games depending on the the lineup. But <laughs> um, what we kind of uh, wanted to focus this podcast on, we wanted to end with it, is uh, talking a little bit about the Grizzlies. So we're going to kind of. Uh, our hometown guys. We're going to kind of recap the first two games of that series, um, kind of looking forward to game three. And uh, the, the very uh, outspoken David Fisdell and kind of what he means to this series now because, um, as you know, uh, if you don't know, uh, San Antonio is up 2-0 on the Grizzlies, two double-digit wins. Uh, game two, uh, while it was a double-digit win, was a lot different than game one as you had the Grizzlies uh, – Really uh, battling back and bringing it to you know a one possession. I think it was three or four points in the fourth yeah. quarter, and you saw a couple of a uh, couple foul calls go against uh, or go for the the Spurs. That really kind of shifted momentum there and got it back on their side, and and they were able to separate and and really use their depth there at the end. But you know that's uh, going into game three. Uh, I think uh, there was a little bit of something to build on there for for Memphis. Yeah, I mean Fizdell was fired up i mean we don't have to elaborate too much on that because it's pretty much flooded social media um and you know any talk show that's on tv sports center i mean you name it it's pretty much been there but the the stats he was fired up about san antonio in game two shot 32 free throws for the grizzlies 15 Kawhi himself i believe shot 19 Mm -hmm. which is more than the grizzlies even attempted um also zebo as fizzo called him one of the most rugged players if not the most rugged player in the game um, I don't know if he had any free throw attempts. Um, I don't think personally, so. I think that, or I know that you and I both are biased here because hometown, obviously. But there were many, many questionable calls, and it it wasn't so much that 
I wasn't fired up at the call San Antonio was getting as much as I was fired up as what we were not getting. Right. And I think that's really what Fisdale was fired up about. And, of course, it came out. Mike Conley immediately texted him after the press conference and said, thank you for the team. And, of course, after the $30,000 fine came out today, uh, they, the players, Mike, fronted this. You know, they're already going to – they've said they're going to take care of it, um, which is – it's nice because, you know, like, we've texted and – I've heard from other friends and just people in this city. I mean, people were ready to run through a wall for David Fisdale, and he's someone who I don't know if criticized is the right word, uh, but as a first-year coach, I mean, there's definitely been people around the city wondering, you know, did we make the right move moving on uh, to Coach Fisdale? And, again, I don't, I don't think it's necessarily criticism, but I definitely think he's validated his heart and his desire um, and his commitment to this team and to this city. And I think it's really going to give us a boost going into the game tomorrow night. Yeah. I mean, to me, in a city like Memphis, which I know is, you know, kind of a hard to understand from an outsider's perspective, but, you know, smaller markets that have uh, really close knit fan bases and, and really communities that are built around the success of a sports franchise as far as the economy goes. You, you kind of live and die sometimes by the success and, and to have the, the the consistent success that Memphis has had over the past seven years is has been great for Memphis uh, for the city itself but when you have a moment like Fisdale had and you have those comments and you have you know he he didn't curse he didn't make a fool of himself he got up there and was very respectful and now he did, you know, he let himself get a little carried away with, you know, criticizing the officials, which, you know, up for debate whether or not that should be allowed. You know, I'm actually a fan of, you know, having open criticism, especially if it's not, you know, derogatory or anything like that. But he he really resonated with people in this, you know, even though he wasn't, you know, he wasn't on the hot seat by any means. No. But he really kind of, you know, and people like to use this term whenever Trump does something, you know, that's kind of viewed as positive is he became president today. He became president today when he did this. Well, you know, Dave Fisdale became the head coach of the Memphis Grizzlies the other, or, uh, you know, Tuesday night or Monday night. That's, he really became the coach then. He really kind of ingrained himself to the players. He, He is more of a player's coach with his relationships in the past, but he really became kind of like a coach for the city. And I really think you're going to see a good turnout in game three. And, uh, you know, be realistically looking forward, you probably don't have Memphis coming out on top of this series. But, you know, winning a game, winning two games at home against a team that you've had so many struggles with in the past and then looking into this offseason, that, that is what you have to hope for. You really – that's what you really want to build around this these – the successful season that Mike and Mark had individually, not as much team success because of extenuating circumstances, but two individual seasons. You want to highlight that with some success in the playoffs. And I really think that's what uh, you really have to focus on these two games in Memphis is is getting one or two of them. Yeah. You mentioned there were some definite things you could build on from game three. I mean, I meant from, from game two. I mean, I think we were all worried that, it was going to be another 25 or 30 point blowout. And if that's the case, then we're having a very different conversation right now. Um, you know, but thankfully we showed some heart and some fight, which this team has been known to do. I mean, grit and grind, obviously coined um, by our guys. But tomorrow night, I'm optimistic. 
I mean, I, th- I think we're going to come out well. I think we're going to get better looks from three. I mean, that's that's one thing we've really struggled with. I know Mike's had an easier time getting, you know, off of picks, his pull-up three game going. But, man, the, just we, we need to get some looks for people like Troy Daniels, um, some better and more looks for Mark. Uh, and I definitely think playing at home in front of the home crowd will help us there. Uh, because we're going to need to put the ball in the basket a little bit more. I'm looking at the stats from last game. When we're only shoot, shot 38% from from the field and 26% from three. I mean, that's just not going to cut it no, no matter who you're playing. Uh, if you're shooting sub 40% from the field and sub 30 all the way down to 25 from three, I mean, you're going to have you're gonna have trouble beating teams. Um, so it's going to be very important for Mike to get going early, uh, for, for them to maybe have to double him. Uh, so he can get some shots for other people. Uh, and again, like like we've talked about with other teams, we've got to get contributions from role players. Uh, you know, really hoping folks like Troy can step up. I mean, Ennis great gave us great energy um, in the second half to help bring us back. You know, you hope you can get something like like that again. Maybe some some quality minutes from Brandon Wright. We just need something to give us a spark so that Mike and Mark just don't have to do it all. Right, and uh, you saw Mark really came down to earth. Not come down to earth, but really kind of cooled off from his 32-point game with a, with a modest 12, 12 points, you know, six assists, or six rebounds, three assists. He really, he, I don't, I'm not going to obviously make a declaration about his attitude to the game, but maybe he was a little bit discouraged with how he played in game one and how the, the team didn't succeed. And, you know, sometimes that can take a toll on you mentally. And uh, you really, but you, but you know, he saw Mike come out and, and rebound after a rough game, you know, have a good outside shooting game, and, and really play hard, um, taking that contact at the rim. So I think you're going to see a really united effort from the two main guys, from Mark and Mike. And I think you're in a series like this, if you can get the contributions from those two guys on the same page, I think you need one role player to step up, and that can propel you to a win. I really do. Um, especially with the production we got. I'm not talking about Zach stepping up. He's, in my right. opinion, not necessarily a role player. Yeah. We're yeah. talking about a guy hitting a couple outside shots, a guy you know, getting a, a momentum-changing and one or a, a defensive lockdown possession. Um, so that's what I'm looking for. I'm looking for a couple of shots from Troy Daniels. Or, or you know an inspired run. As I'm looking down through here, the guys who played last game, it's 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 like wow, who is that going to come from? Because I, I don't think right. the offense is going to come from Ennis. Um, so Andrew Harrison, no. <laughs> not Andrew Harrison. Uh, really, really, really missing that that uh, that Mario that, Chalmers. <laughs> really missing that, of course. Really missing uh, the contribution of Tony Allen. You know, his, oh, well, his yeah. ten to twelve points here and there. And ball handling is just so. And some of his important. stuff is, is momentum changing stuff, yes. like you said. I mean, it's not people pouring in a bunch of shots. It's just here yeah. and there, spot stuff when you need it. Mm-hmm. Right. If you have your if you have your big three uh, producing it, you know, at their average or a little above average rate, you just need one guy to to step up and really play out of his his normal comfort zone and yeah. hit a couple of shots. And you know, I'd love to see it come from somebody like Jamichael. Uh, you know, I love Vince to death, and he's played great. Um, I think he's probably, you know, he's. It's like when you're driving, when you're when you're pushing on the gas a little too hard in your car, going up a, <laughs> driving in the mountains. I think you're really, I think you're really uh, testing the boundaries of what Vince has in the tank 
with the past couple of games and, and him guarding no Kawhi big, and playing 33 minutes. This is not a playing 33 minutes. Doesn't. Yeah. And, I, and that's the thing. We're both big fans of Vince. I love him to death. And yeah. I'm so glad that he get, we got to experience this. You know, well, he's super efficient on offense. So you love him out there. But, again, he doesn't need to be out there for 33-plus minutes. No, he's best. He serves you best as a, you know, a shooter off the bench or a guy who can – you know, well, I don't even mind him in the starting lineup, yeah, but I mean, yeah. if, if someone is contributing more off the bench, that obviously allows Vince to rest a little more. Yeah, you you want to see Vince playing twenty to twenty five minutes, and that's that's about where you want to see it. You know, that's maybe if a few extra, but that's kind of where you want that to see. And that's but when you have an injury to Tony Allen and you have the, uh, the yeah, injury part to, of it, to Chandler Tony Parsons, Allen. that's those are those minutes. Uh, too soon. Those are those minutes. Yeah, too soon. Um, uh, got eight months later, still too soon. Dude. Still too soon. Uh, love Chandler to death. He's going to be back. Fully, fully believe that. Uh, he's going to be stud next year. Me and you have, me and you both have confidence in him. I know that a lot uh, of people. Dude, we're still on kinda, Chan- We're on Parsons Island. Dude. Yeah, Beach I mean, I'm coffee. trying to get an invite to Cancun next year. <laughs> oh no, dude. But I mean, I know a lot of people are kind of had kind of grown sour to him, uh, and that's no fault of his own. It's just stuff happens, and and you know, a lot of times people expect results and. I really do think, you know, if we can get some success, you know, some success built up against the Spurs in this playoffs and whatever plays out here going into a full off season, you know, I'd really like to see where this team could go moving forward in the future. Hey, here's the thing. If, if Chandler comes back, which you and I feel like he will, and he gives us 15-5-5 five and five next year, I mean, when you pair that with Mark and Mike, and, and uh, let's just, you know, be hypothetical, say you get another – you get another year or two of Zach Randolph, and he gives you another year of 15 and 7 off the bench. I mean, with Mike and Mark scoring 20 and 20 a game, let's say Mark, let's say Mike scores 20 a game, Mark scores 18, that's 38. Uh, then you're up to what 53 with Parsons, another, you know, say you're almost up to 75 points just with those four guys. Right. Um, so I mean, if if Parsons is here, I mean, people forget. You know, and and that's the thing is there are injuries in the NBA, and you have to learn to cope with that, and you got to build your roster, you know, more than just seven people deep. But if 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 Chandler is here, like, you know, if he was healthy, and we're getting that those you know two or three threes a game, um, and just that high intensity and rebounds and a secondary ball handler, I mean, we are a completely different basketball team. If if he's initiating some offense and allowing Mike to work more off the ball and allowing Andrew to have to handle the ball a little bit less, I mean, it's a completely different dynamic than people really aren't uh, remembering because, frankly, we haven't seen it all season. Right, and that and you know something that Fizdale took some heat for at the beginning of the season, and even to, you know even we might even see a starting lineup change here in Game Three, which I think could be a good move putting Zach back in there for Jamichael, but something that Fisdale foresaw in the preseason was, uh, even though Chandler wasn't quite back ready, he foresaw having a starting lineup of Mike, Tony, Chandler, Jamichael, and Mark. And you have Zebo coming off the bench with Troy Daniels, uh, with a secondary ball handler, whoever that might, you know, plays out to be, and Brandon Wright, who's rim Could running and Vince. protecting. Right. And Vin- oh yeah, and even Vince, forget you know, forgetting. So you, that's that was his plan when the season started, and I think that starting lineup works perfect. And if yeah. you're able to keep Zach Randolph through the off season, I mean, it's tough to say what's going to happen there because it's, it's a crowd. I'm sure, favorite. you don't know what the right. price will be and all right. that kind of and, stuff. And you, and you can't make you can't 
make a sentimental decision that puts your franchise back a year or two. But I do think he can still produce, obviously. And I know Parsons is going to you know, probably miss half the season, if not more than that. But that was his vision. I still think it's there. I still think there's some, you know, there's some tinkering we could do in the offseason. We've got some really good young guys that are coming up. Uh, I really do think that Fizdell's vision, like, I'm glad now that he's endeared himself to the, the fan base this way because it's going to really give him some leeway Believe, and really give yeah. him some, you know, some more support throughout the city. And, you know, even on in the media, in the air radio waves of, you know, what his decision making is. And I think it's, I think we could we could we could uh, really see some some positive play next year with with his game plan. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I feel again back to the game tomorrow. I feel yeah, I feel very confident. We know that FedEx Forum uh, when there's energy in there, it's a great place to play basketball. I mean, many guys in the NBA, whether they're Grizzlies folks or other players, have have said that. I mean, we even heard heard our guy Bill Simmons say he's been in the building. He knows it's a great place to play basketball. Mm-hmm. So I think the home fans will bring it. Again, we can't say this enough. It's so important that we get off to a good start. We can't get down 20 or 25 again and have to use all of our energy getting back into the game when, and then we run out of gas in the fourth quarter. So it's going to be super important for us to either be leading at halftime or it be a single-digit game because uh, the last thing we need is to go in there trying to figure out how to get the game back to single digits because we know that if the Spurs do go cold and allow us back in the game, eventually Kawhi is going to take back over. So uh, we'll we'll see. Uh, we'll, we'll see how how it goes tomorrow night at 8.30 on TNT. Ooh, prime time. I know I'll be tuning in. So will you. I know some of our well, friends I'll, will. I'll be in the building. You'll be, you'll be in the building. That's right, of course. Um, I really can't wait to get my hands on a bootleg they not going to rook us shirt. <laughs> uh, I mean, to me, that's the one that that's my favorite quote. Uh, I know take that for data will probably live on as far as, you know, Internet meme uh, history and, and, you know, sports center clip, you know, that will be used from years to come. Uh, love, the, love it. Uh, love. Hopefully we can get a growl towel uh, with, with one of those quotes on there. You never know what they have up their sleeve. But, uh, you know, it's really I really looking forward to it. I, I kind of think that. You know, it's a special game for the, for the city. But, um, you know, that's kind of uh, what we wanted to cover here. Uh, thank you guys for, for tuning in. Um, if you don't have any more comments or anything, Walker, I'll kind of just uh, let everybody know that uh, we're, we're looking forward to uh, kind of coming back and uh, recapping most of the Grizzlies games kind of individually, little short 20, 30-minute pods to kind of, uh, you know, satisfy our, our, our needs and then uh, we'll, we'll still be breaking down more of the playoffs and more to come here on. Yeah, uh, if you listen to the last podcast, you heard us say we were immediately going to publish a, a Grizzlies reaction pod. Right. Of course, we had some technical difficulties there, so <laughs> yeah. we're hoping and open in the future to be able to do some stuff like that through the playoffs. And I think at the very latest, you'll see us back middle of next week. For sure, for sure. Well, enjoyed it, and uh, we will talk to you guys the next time we talk to you. No easy for buckets. Sure. <laughs> no easy buckets. See you.